0: If those of you who have been with my ministry anytime know that anytime I move into a different theme of a given text, um, I will kind of do an overview of why we're going to do what we're doing. The problem with this text is it's part of an ongoing theme that I'm going to give you a frame today that you can hang on uh, all that you have been studying in the last seven and a half months. Okay? And it will all fit in this frame. And I'm going to give you the frame today. What I'm looking at is a message that I've entitled interdependence. Um, And it comes in three movements. One is a proper relationship. The second is perfect provision. And the third is proper response. That is verses 20 through 31. But you can't take this and hang it out here outside of what we're going to look at today. And the reason that I'm kind of really wanting to come back and review over and over and over again is because this text, this thought that the Apostle Paul is dealing with right now is the single greatest enemy that you and I fight. Okay? Absolutely. Uh, And listen, I'm not talking about the American Evangelical Church. I'm talking about Castle Rock Baptist Church in 2007. Okay? Let's read our text 20 through 31 and ask the Lord to teach us. But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On contrary... It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Father, help us to hear. Help us to see what is being given to us. Help us to see what our responsibility is. And yes, Father, help us to understand our response. Father, help us to see the magnificent glory of what has been laid here before us. Father, help me speak with clarity. Father, but I know that if you give me the words and have not opened the ears, it is useless. So, Father, I ask that you open the ears that we may hear. Father, we understand the age that we are in. We understand that the war we are in, individually and collectively. And, Father, let us understand that you died for your church, you purchased her with your precious blood, and that, Father, being a part of it is the single greatest privilege that has ever been besought, have been given to man except for his salvation. Thank you, Father, to your glory, to your praise. Amen. Like I was saying, I'm going to give you a framework okay and and you can write this down on the back of your your outline that is absolutely useless to you today thanks to matt but remember all the body parts are needed even the mistakes no just kidding um and 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 I write this down because this will help you i i guarantee you this will help you for the rest of your life in a moment by moment walk that you have it will assist you okay and, and what I'm going to do is if you think about it, I started out with the book of Corinthians like this and slowly just boom, 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 got it down and got it down and got it down. And everybody saying, well, gee, many crickets. He's been dealing with a dangling participle now for two weeks. But I'm going to show you that when you put all of that together, you have to have it because if you don't, uh, you'll see. So you're going to have a frame here to work off of. And I have an analogy that we started on. And Paul gave it to us in the beginning of this chapter. I don't want you to be ignorant about these spiritual gifts. Okay, what are you talking about? Well, look at verse 12. For even as the body is one, yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. Greatest statement ever made in Scripture. So as is Christ. All right? You do not separate Jesus Christ from the body or the body from Jesus Christ. Okay? They are one. They are representation. Okay? All right? One body, many gifts make up that body. Okay? And he uses the perfect illustration. What is the perfect illustration? The human body. It is made up of thousands and thousands and thousands of individual members, and yet they all have one basic life source. They are all accomplishing the same thing. You don't have a foot saying, Well, I think I'm gonna go over here fishing, and hand says, No, I'm gonna go cook a brat, and the other foot says, But I think I'm gonna go skiing, and then the head says, You know, I ain't doing nothing, I'm tired, I'm going to bed. You don't have that. The body moves. Doesn't it just moves around? All right. But you know what has happened? We live in a society. You live in a society. We exist in a sphere of influence that wants to make you your own man. Okay. People admire rugged individualism. Don't they? that man is a man's man self-sufficiency appeals to each and every one of you not only is it appeal to you you desire it you seek it you move yourself to that position i don't want to be dependent on another okay because you know they'll always let you down Okay, that appeals to us, doesn't it? I mean, I don't mind a little bit of help here or there. But for the most part, I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps. I can handle this. I may take a little longer. And I will tell you that it comes straight from Ezekiel 28, 1 through 6. That's your depravity, people. Your independence is your depravity. Your desire to be self-sufficient is your depravity. Ezekiel chapter 28, 1 through 6, it's Satan saying, I will, I will, I will. Listen, I want you to get a hold of something here and you're going to deal with this in the weeks to come. God's desire for you today. Okay? Every single one of you. Anybody who hears this message on the web or whatever, he has a desire for you today. Now listen, I'm only talking to believers. If you ain't saved today, we know it. Okay, But for the believer, God wants you to have a tremendous, overwhelming sense of dependency. It should be the first and foremost thing that exists in your life. Okay, uh, we have. There's a song we used to sing, and, and I think it's in our hymn books called "We Are the Family of God." Okay, but you know what? We've corrupted that. We are not dependent on our families. Okay, um, we, we struggle with it. We have. Uh, we're in a country that is independent-minded. Uh, we live in our own independence. Uh, I can accomplish whatever I set my heart to. Okay? You set a goal, set a plan, set a dream, and grab it. It's true. And you know what? We promote it. We promote it. We exalt it. We lift it up. I'm gonna take you back a few thousand years. The voice from heaven calls down to Cain, asking a question Where is your brother? Do you know what Cain's response was? Am I my brother's keeper? You know what God is shouting right there, chapter 4 of Genesis? You are interdependent. Ever since the fall of man, he has fought against with great disdain the thought of ever being responsible for anyone. Ask yourself a question. Has it changed today? Man has defiantly wanted to be independent of any responsibility. Our whole society is based on that. Okay? Uh, I drink alcohol all the time because I have this disease of alcoholism. Okay? Uh, I cheat on all of my spouses and everything because I have this disease of sexual immorality. Oh, we don't call it that, do we? I'm I'm a sexual addict. I I have this. I look at pornography because of this. You know, I don't want to... And it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It, it, it was the society that I was in. It was the the, the people around. You know, if my mom and dad would have loved me, I'd have been, you know, better. One of the reasons in the Old Testament that God hey, have you ever looked at the Old Testament? Some stuff in there. God made individual who sin carry the weight of that responsibility, and, and it would hit the whole family. I mean, the prime is Achan. We're going to have a battle here, and and he takes a bar of gold. It was all supposed to go to the Levites, but it's just one bar. I mean, we had wagons of stuff. I'll just keep it hidden in his tent. They went into battle next time, got their butts whooped, and God showed Joshua Achan had stolen. It's just a bar of gold. I tell you what take the bar of gold, give it to the Levites. What did God say do? Kill Achan, his wife, his children, and his animals. Gosh. Doesn't that seem a little harsh? No. He's fighting something that started all the way back with Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? You know what the answer is? Absolutely. Absolutely. You are your, your brother's keeper. Not only are you your brother's keeper, you are dependent on other people. Absolutely dependent. God does not and classifies it as a sin of individualism. Individualism. So, guess what? The enemy builds a concept of independence, okay? The enemy builds a concept of needing nothing. The enemy builds a concept that I have no need of another. And we thrive in that concept. We like that concept. And that concept shakes its fist at the I am, There's only one who is self-sufficient. There is only one who is not dependent. He is the I am, and He says, "You are absolutely dependent, absolutely dependent." Read that verse again. End of verse twelve. So also is Christ. Okay. Now I wanted to ask you a question. Do you think that the world ever invades the church? Does the church look like it's dependent? No. No. We even wanted to start a non-denominational because we don't want to be dependent on anybody. We can do it ourselves. We can do church... Better. Okay, now that I'm going to take it and make it really personal today. How are you doing? Can you look around right now and say, I am dependent on on Karen, and Karen is dependent on me, and I'm dependent on Al and Sandy, and they're dependent on me, and Michael, Ostina, and Alex, Adam, uh, Jacob. No, no, wait, stop. Ask yourself that question. Do you look at the people in this room today and say, I am absolutely interdependent on you. I accomplish nothing without you. Are you there? Listen, I am. God shows that to me unmercilessly. You're not here. I don't get paid. I don't get paid. What do I, what I do with my family? I am dependent on you. Know what I mean, well, he's just talking about money. Yep. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. You can look around right now and see people that ain't here, and you ever ask yourself, wonder where they're at? And then it's just that little thought, doesn't it? It just goes right out the other side. Wonder where they're at. I wish I was with them. Don't you? I don't know. Maybe you don't. Let me tell you something. Do your own thing. That is the philosophy that exists in your world today. And I wonder how many of you have bought that philosophy. I don't need anybody. I'm my own man. You're able, the world tells you. You are sufficient. You are capable. I am the captain of my own fate and the master of my soul. That's the attitude of the society you're in. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that's influenced the church? Let me ask you this question. Do you think it has influenced this church? Okay? Because I know emphatically it's translated into our theology. Okay? Uh, we think I have Christ. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I am therefore sufficient. Okay? Okay. Then that means you have every spiritual gift. Do you? No. No. So how sufficient are you? You are absolutely useless. Sufficient. That's how sufficient you are. If you do not have the body of Christ around you, you are useless. That's like taking a liver cell and laying it on the ground and saying, look, a body. That looks human. Doesn't communicate well. It's kind of ugly. Right? We don't need anybody. Listen, if you believe that, you completely missed this whole text. This whole text is foreign to you. you know. And I hear, I hear people debate it. Well, you know, we weren't raised in tribes or clans. Uh, you know, we never had that communal living like the, the, the church did at the birth of the church of Pentecost in Jerusalem. You know, I, we don't even hang out in our father's house. Now, listen, you don't think you ain't bought this? I'm fighting it. I don't fight it. I just bring it up and throw it out and watch people. Okay. Do you have a sense of your interdependence? Okay. I know growing up, I didn't want to ask anybody for anything. Why? I'll get it done one way or the other. It may take me forever, but I'll get it done. Okay. And that was the way I was raised. You need to be able to do these things. Right? Well, maybe you weren't. That's how I was raised. You go get your job 40 hours a week, get you some overtime because you want to have two weeks vacation so you can raise your your wife and your kids and and you're going to have a motor home and and a motorboat and and 401k and, and, and insurance and you have done it. And it was your abilities. And you know what? This has backlashed in the church. And I believe that the church struggles to get back to it. One body, many members. Okay? Listen, brothers and sisters, we have a tremendous responsibility of dependence to and on one another. Absolutely. Let me show you how this works. Okay? And I, I can only use me. All right? We have two pastors in Belarus. Their sole source of income is the money that you and I send. Okay, $500, 250 to Gennady, 250 to Leonid. Okay, we picked up an orphanage this last trip and we send the orphanage worker that's coming out of Transfiguration Church $100 so that the church doesn't have the burden of that woman. Okay, so how much we got right there? $600. Count it up. All right, we found a lady in the Transfiguration Church who works as a teacher, a school teacher. She has a job. She has her little apartment. But she's adopted two of these orphans. Okay, and she ain't making it. And the church in Oral was trying to help her, and they were just struggling. So we said, let's give them 50 bucks. So we give them 50 bucks. Alright? We give Pastor Paul some money, which is bizarre because we were wanting to take care of Pastor Paul and his family. He just gives it away. He starts paying school teachers. He's got him a little Christian school there. He wants to get school teachers in there. He takes our money and just pays other teachers. Crazy man. What is wrong with him? Alright? We give Olford ministries. They have one heart's desire. Heart's desire of Oldford ministry is to teach men to exposit God's word. Hmm. Is that a good investment? Yeah. So we send them money. Right? Let me tell you something about what I just shared with you guys. That group, the orphanage in Orel, the lady who adopted them kids, those three pastors, are dependent on every single one of you. Absolutely dependent on you. Let me tell you something. You miss a Sunday... And you don't give money. You know what you just did? You told them that you're not dependent on them. That's what you did. Do you know that my sole source of income is what? But do you realize that I'm smart enough to say that if these guys here in Russia or Burma or Memphis Ain't getting their money. They don't have anything. They can't go to the ATM machine. They can't go and put an American Express or a Visa or something like that down. They don't have. I watched a pastor get paid eggs. A bag of eggs. Now they wanted to give it to me. I don't don't think I can get that in my luggage. I don't think I want that in my luggage. Okay? And so they gave it to Gennady. Gennady. Luba's husband, um, Valery's brother-in-law, they give it to him and he goes, you know what he did with him? Crazy fool. He takes him to Luba, his wife, who's in the kitchen of the church in Oral and they mix up these cool little Russian raviolis and feed them to all of us. You know what that is? It's interdependence. It's interdependence. Why haven't we grabbed that yet? You know what? I'm willing to take my pay and send it off to Russia because there's times we don't make it. Okay? Listen, I'll go out and work at the challenge course or bang some nails or something like that. I can make up mine. I have an economy around here who can handle that. Do you see the interdependence there? Listen, I ain't here to hurt your feelings. I ain't here to say, you need to give more. I'm sitting here saying, do you understand that your life existence is tied directly to mine and to some Russian pastors and to an orphanage and to a pastor and a Christian school in Burma and to a guy who sits down with his family and is trying to teach exposition of God's Word so that the Word of God goes out farther and farther? You are interdependent on them. They have to have you. Let me ask you a question. You feel the same way? That's the interdependence that I'm talking about. What we receive in my 15 years of teaching God's Word here, what we have received, what God has given you... Being blessed to be in this state, uh, we've been in a pretty decent economy since about 88, 89. Uh, We've made money, okay? We've got time, we've got privileges, we've got all kinds of stuff that nobody else has. What we have received, we have the responsibility to share with others. We need to minister back. Who? Just you who are saved. I don't expect you who are lost to minister back. That's the attitude for our Christian life. And then you know what? I'm going to get people. Well, listen, Jesus Christ, he's an individual. He's a man's man. Really? First 30 years of his life, where did he live? They call it living with mom and dad. Jesus Christ, who holds existence in his hand, lived with mommy and daddy. I can't ever find where Joseph says, Son, you need to go get you an apartment. Out, be your own. You never see that. And then he leaves mom and dad. Where does he go? Hooks up with twelve guys, and a group that goes around on the peripheries of that. And they they all hang out together day in and day out. There's only one time, one time, is Jesus by himself. And what happens? Satan shows up. There's some theology in that. Get by yourself. See what happens. Go to Ezekiel 28. I will, I will, I will. What did he do with Jesus in the wilderness? I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is trying to get to us in chapter 12 now? Do you you see that at all? I hope so. Because, man, this has been a burden on me for a couple of weeks. Well, Paul was an individual. Paul was a man's man. I mean, they stoned him, left him for dead. Okay, why is, the book of, why is the book of Romans, the end of it, why is there such a big old list of people? That he said what? You have ministered to me. You have ministered with me. You have ministered for me. Hmm. What about the list in Colossians 4? Here's another list of people who he ministered with, who he cared for, who he served, who served him, who he loved. Second Timothy 4. Here's another list. What are all these people? Acts. Paul starts out with Barnabas. Then he goes to Silas, to John Mark, to Timothy, to Luke, and he's always with somebody. He's not a man's man. Somebody was always going along with in the ministry with Paul. Why? He always had somebody he could pour his heart out to. He always had somebody he could strengthen or be strengthened by. He always had somebody he could pray with. He always had somebody. It isn't some guy out here leading. Are you guys with me? Go, go with me. It should be shoulder to shoulder. Because there's an interdependence. We have to have one another. I don't know. You're going to sit there and go, oh, great. Boy, I don't want them. You have to understand you have to get last week's message then. Who put you on the canvas where? God did. There's absolutely no biblical precedence and there's nowhere in God's plan for individualism. It's not there. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you this as emphatically as I can. You are your brother's keeper. No question. And I hear these surveys. Well, 20% is serving the 80%. That's a common factor in the church. And you know what? That's a tragedy. And that's the sadness of the body of Christ in America today. It may even be the sadness of this church. 20% is serving the 80%. It's a very good possibility. Why? I don't see people getting saved. And if people ain't getting saved, then that means you look just like the world. And if you look just like the world, why would I, as a lost person, be even interested in what you got if you've got exactly what I've got? But if you see the interdependency of the body of Christ and the people relying on one another, bending over for one another, helping one another, sharing with one another, crying with one another, honoring one another, and you see that, then the lost world says, whoa, I want that. We, we like to sing, you know, no, it's by our love for one another. Love is a verb, people. It's a verb. It is seen. It's not felt. I don't, I see so many today who don't get into the flow of mainstream ministry because of this. They're standing out on the edge. Well, I gave you my money. Shut up. You go do it. You take care of it. Why? That should be your concern. And I I think there's two reasons for this. And I I just, these are just my opinion. You don't have to write these down. One, I think people feel inferior. Okay. um, I feel unnecessary. I, I read it right here. And yet, those who feel unnecessary, he says, you need to make them feel necessary. I think the other one is what I call um, spiritual celebrity. If I'm not up front and the one yelling and screaming and all the rest of it, um, you know, and I don't need you guys, I can, I'll can, i go write a book. By golly, give me a book. I'll get it published, sell a billion copies, and I'll sit around and show you how to do it. And you know what? Either one of those, either inferior or superior, basically short-circuit the ministry that God is using you for. And you know what? I believe that every one of us in this room fight these attitudes at one time or another at the same time. I don't know how you fight superiority and inferiority at the same time, but I guess you know, that's sort of like I'm proud of my humility. Uh, I, you know, I guess you can try it. There are people who are around you that need to be strengthened and are desperate to be strengthened. They're in your life. They're in your sphere. And yet, for whatever reason, you're not doing it. Okay, there's a tremendous, I, a tremendous interdependence in the body of Christ. And it defies um, being inferior or superior, or inferiority. And it has to overwhelm us. And that's why the Apostle Paul here uses the human body. There is no greater illustration. And here's what I want you to hang your thoughts on. Okay, I wanted to show you where you're at. When I have people that say, well, you're out of school now and you need to get your own apartment, why? You need to be independent. Really? Give me the biblical precedents for that. Just one. Just one. I mean, the I am is independent. Okay? So that means you're God? Yeah, I didn't think so. If you look at the human body, and we've been looking at this, and I've been going around it and coming back and in and out and over and under and all around, and there's a thing that you see, and we looked at this last week on the body, and we've seen that there is unity in the body, isn't there? Mm -hmm. We've seen that there is diversity in the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what? There's even sovereignty in the body. Absolutely. And the one I'll be dealing with now in this next text on interdependence is what I call harmony in the body. Okay? That is what the human body is, right? Look what it say at the end of verse 12. So also is Christ. He's like the body. He is unified. He is... Diversified? Absolutely. Is he sovereign? Oh, got that. How about harmony? You think him, the Father, and Holy Spirit ever get into the shouting matches? Oh, I don't care. I don't want to go back yet. Send the four horsemen and I'll wait. You don't see that. John 17, the Lord's Prayer, says, Father, I want them to be one as you and I are one look at I'm going to go back through this I'm going to hang some verses on this I want you to hang this outline because this is what you're going to be dealing with in the next few weeks months do you see that weeks or months or years verses 12 and 13 is the unity as one body by one spirit all baptized into one body whether you're Jew you're Greek you're slave you're free you're made to drink of one spirit I'm thinking of that unity. Why? Because he says all. All drink of the same spirit. All in the same body. All just as Christ. We are one. We have life of God. It's called Ionis Zoe. Eternal life. If you're saved today, you are pulsing through your veins, through your spirit is onus zoe. It's eternal life. Now. And if you're saved and you have been baptized into the body of Christ, you've been made to drink of the Spirit of God, you are of the same life source that I am. You know what that makes you? Dependent on me. Which makes me dependent on you. A, a common life principle okay that's how unified we are but I want to show you something else for the body is not one member verse 14 but many but you know what there has to be diversity many members must maintain its diversity in order to experience the unity you must maintain diversity in order to experience the unity Listen, if everybody's preaching, who's serving? If everybody's serving, who's leading? See? Okay? That's why if you look at existence, it's built on two pillars: authority and submission. Authority and submission. You never sub- the only authority I submit to is the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he puts people over me that I must submit to. Correct? How about you? Well, I will when I'm... No, no, no. You will never do it until you understand you are interdependent on the body of Christ. Period. I, I, you realize how arrogant it is for a human to say I'm looking for a church? Do you ever, do you ever thought about that? I, I, I'm going to go out and see what kind of churches there are. Listen, I can sit in a church for five minutes and tell you whether it's a church or not. If nobody in the pew has a Bible, it ain't a church. Well, but they, it ain't a church. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. And if the people in the pews do not consider that important, where do they get that information? The leadership of the church says, don't worry, we'll do what? Listen, I want you to have your Bibles open. You better look. Am I, what, am, I, am I saying what is true? Or is he just up there talking? That's a piece of cake. If the majority of the people do not have their Bibles, pfft, uh, later. I, let me ask you a question. Some of you guys are in school. Uh, my son's in college. Some of you are in elementary school. Uh, uh, Matt teaches school, stuff like that. You go to school. What happens if you don't bring your book? You're pretty much clueless, aren't you? Right? Well, what do you think you do at church? I know, I'm clueless. (laughs) Don't bother me. (laughs) Okay? Have mercy, pity, and grace. Okay? That's my God's job. Okay? So, I want you to understand that. Because you are inundated daily. Bam, 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 bam. That you are independent. And you're not. You're not. But you have to have diversity. Each one of you in this room. Listen, if you are gifted exactly as I am, primary colors, secondary colors, I guarantee you we're different. Why? Because I have what is called, I called it last week, divine dignity. God made me absolutely unique because he says that the body will need exactly this color to manifest my portrait. You're needed. You're necessary. But in that diversity, as you see in verse 14, we also saw that there is sovereignty. Verses 18, 24, and 28. Okay? Sovereignty. Sovereignty. We're talking about a baby. We're talking about a child. Okay. We're talking about a body, a human body. When a baby is born, do you know what it's going to look like? You can take the mother and the father, and you can say, here's genetic characteristics of the mother and the father. Can you tell what that child's going to look like? They got these things that are called ultrasounds. Okay. And they do this thing, and they go, well, oh, look at ever new, looking all around. you can't tell me what that is. What's a baby. Really? Looks like a cloud. If you swirl it around this way, it looks like a hurricane. Okay? I've seen ultrasounds. And I just look at him and he says, well, this is that and that. And you sit there and you go, what? I, I remember somebody getting an ultrasound and they said, do you know what that is, right? That's that little boy thing. And they had a girl. And I kept thinking... What was you looking at? (laughs) You're one of them guys who look at clouds and say, see a hippopotamus. No, I see clouds. Okay? But you can't tell. And even if you can look at the parents, you sit there and go, what will it look like? God knows exactly what it's going to look like. All right? It's already sovereignly designed. And when he puts the life into it, God says, this is what I have. Okay? But let me tell you something. God mixes and matches and without any of your effort. Did you know that? Did you know that every person in this church today is exactly mixed and matched the way God says is going to be necessary for this church to be an effective ministry and effective manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And if you're not, you're in sin. God put it together. Okay, we looked at that. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, right? Verse 24, but God has composed the body. Verse 28, God has appointed. Who's doing it? God. All right, so you look here at what we've laid out and what you have is unity, diversity, and sovereignty. Okay, It's all planned by God, and all of those come together to make the body function. And the where and when of those three functions, you will have the fourth, which is harmony. Okay? And you'll never have harmony until you get the first three. Okay? Until you understand, all right, until you understand that you are absolutely dependent On the person sitting next to you and those around you, you'll never get this. You'll never live in the harmony that God has given in the body of Christ. You'll never live in it. That's the problem with the Corinthian church. Chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. You don't understand. You're one body. Not members. You're all one body. Okay, chapter 1 of this letter. I'll take you back a few years. Uh, verses 10, 11, and 12. I exhort you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, and but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people that there are schisms among you. Okay? There's division in there. They weren't being dependent. Then they stepped into I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. What are you doing? You're making diversity be the issue, not the unity. You see it in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. You see it in chapter 4, verse 7. They were boasting in 7. And he says, You can't boast, you didn't earn nothing. Why can you boast? Chapter 6, they were taking each other to court, suing each other. What causes that? There's no unity. 11, verse 18 through 24, they were having their love feasts, their potlucks. And the people who were making a lot of money were bringing the good food in an hour early eating it before the poor people showed up so I didn't have to share it. Chapter 12, they were seeking showy gifts. Let me show you how good I am. Let me show you how great I am. Let me show you what I can do. Alright? I want to take you to a text. Like I said, I want you to hold this framework, okay? Please hold this framework that I just gave you. Um, This framework of unity, diversity, sovereignty, harmony. That's the body of Christ, people. So just as Christ. But I want to show show you something. It comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, okay? I'm just laying a foundation that we'll build on in the next weeks to come, being that Matt forgot to put the right outline in. No, just kidding. Just kidding. That's, see, that's the necessity thing we're chasing again. Okay. All right. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy is the end of Timothy's life. Okay. Uh, This would be the last words of a dying man. Got that? Paul, Paul, I mean. Yeah. Last words of a dying man. Paul's dying and he's, you, you pay attention to the last words of a dying man, right? Well, maybe you don't. Okay. I do. All right. This is the last... That he writes, all right, and this is really an amazing text because he he shows you and I um, what success as a Christian is. Okay, if you want to live a successful Christian life, what's it look like? How do I know that I've arrived? Look at verse six, chapter four, Second Timothy. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. With the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's success as a Christian. Okay? But I want to show you something. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. I solemnly charge you. Now, I'm not going to go into the Greek nuances of that, but when you see solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, I'm thinking we ought to pay attention. Don't you? He's not saying, you know what? This here is good advice. I solemnly charge you. What? What? Preach the word. Now take it to the conclusion of the text. What does the conclusion of this thought say? I am already poured out as a drink offering. You know what that is, right? You know what the drink offering is? When all the sacrifices were done, okay, you have this great big ladle that originally started out with wine. Okay, and it's a really cool thing. It's, a, it's about that big around. Okay, and it, it's about that deep. Okay, it's like a chalice, except it's got one flaw. It comes to a point. There's no base for it. So during the whole sacrificing time, you got one priest carrying this big old honking cup around full of wine. And whenever there was an offering thrown on there, he had to sprinkle a little wine. Well, in the course of a day, say you got Passover. They said at the Passover of Jesus Christ, there's good possibility that 1.5 million sheep were slaughtered. I'm thinking that there's some blood around. What do you think? Okay, I mean, if you read the Passover and how you kill the sheep, you it, cut its throat, bleed it out—that you got a mess. Okay, so you've got all this blood around. You've got these guys in their robes slopping around in this blood. You've got these little drainage ditches, and that wine is getting mingled with the blood. Okay, and he says, "But I am being poured out as a drink offering." There's only one time—one time—you pour out the drink offering. You know what that is? Well, That's all done. Already done. Sacrifice is taken care of. Atonement of sin has been taken care of. All the prayers have been offered. The incense has been burned. Everything's done. And you know what you'd do with it? You'd take that big old cup and you'd go over to the brazen altar where they had, would be burning up the offerings to God and you'd pour it on there. And what happened when you poured that wine on there? Okay. That's how the Apostle Paul viewed his life. And if you're truly honest with it, is the sacrifice done? Is the bloodletting done? The incense is done? The atoning work is done? So what are you? What am I? We're just a drink offering. We're just a drink offering. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You know what? Don't think more highly of yourself. Well, I'm not a preacher. That's probably good. Okay. You know, I have people ask me, would you encourage your kids to, to? No, never. I wouldn't encourage anybody to do this for a living. Okay. But I tell you this, if God calls you to it, don't fight it. All right. We want to see the showies, don't we? And you know what? The greatest showy, gifted person that ever walked the planet, he says, I ain't nothing but the steam that comes off the brazen altar after it's all said and done. The greatest human preacher who ever walked the planet was the Apostle Paul. And he says, I ain't nothing but a flash in the pan. And yet you and I here this day are products of the Apostle Paul. There are crowns being added to the Apostle Paul's awards this day. Okay? But I want to give you another text. Another text. Because we can all sit there and say, well, I'm feeling pretty humble right now. I feel like a little flash in the pan. Well, let me give you a text that has hit me and stays with me on a continual basis. It comes out of the second letter to the Corinthians. Ministry is the second Corinthians. It comes out of chapter 5 and it is verse 10. Here's what it says. For we must all. Okay, you got that? Remember the all that we get dealing with in 1 Corinthians 12? All have been baptized into the body. All have been made to drink of it. We are as Christ is, right? All right, so the same all that you see that we've been wrestling with for a few months shows up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ... Well, we knew that, Terry. Let me show you something here. So that each one, okay, that would be the all, each one may be recompensed for his deeds, where? Where? In the body. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. Fun text, ain't it? Fun text. He says, I have created this thing that is absolutely unified, yet it is absolutely diversified. It is absolutely in my sovereign hand. And when it's doing those threes, there's a harmony that exists that natural man can't comprehend and yet longs for. Natural man can't even manufacture it. And by the way, each of you who has been baptized into this body, who has been made to drink of the spirit of this body, who has been equipped and crafted the way God needed in this body, to His sovereign will, to His sovereign glory, will give an account for what you've done in that body, whether good or bad. Now then, you see why I look at this as seriously as I do. I mean, I can look at it and say, it gets me off the hook. <laughs> I'll give him the information. Gene Lee Crickles, what do you want me to do? But Let me ask you a question. Can you live your life right now? Let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask everyone. I'm going to close with this one. Boom! Right now, you're standing in front of Jesus. Right now. Boom. There he is. Can you look at him and say, that's but a drink offering. Because brothers and sisters, that's the nuts and bolts of it right there. That's the nuts and bolts of it. Let's pray. Father. Father. Thank You for Your Word. Father, thank You for how... how You grabbed my soul in this study in this time. Father, I just praise You for it. Father, uh, I've not arrived. But Father, You have rekindled my passion. You've rekindled my fire. I thank You. Thank You that You made me exactly as You wanted me. Father, You knit me in my mother's womb... And you place me on the canvas of the portrait of Jesus Christ. Gifted, equipped, and readied for exactly what you would have me accomplish. I praise you. I am overwhelmed by that. And Father, I think about my brothers and sisters this day. Knowing the same has happened to them. They were knit in their mother's wombs. Not only that, Father, you have preordained their moments their time, their heartbeats, and their breaths. You have gifted them and equipped them for exactly what you have tasked for them. And Father, may they understand the dignity that goes with that, the uniqueness that you have given to each of them. And Father, may we who gather this day, called by your name, understand we are desperately in need of one another. Desperately in need of one another. Thank you, Father, for drawing us to that place. Thank you, Father, for what you've already done. And thank you, Father, for what you will accomplish. To your glory and praise. Amen.